Hi, I'm Kat Farrance, and I'm founder of Movement for Modern Life. Welcome to Yoga Off the Mat. This is the Movement for Modern Life podcast. And in this podcast, I invite you to join me on a journey to meet the champions of change. These are the most inspiring people I've ever met, and they're living a happy, healthy, sustainable life. Today, I'm joined by Catherine Annis, a Scarabelli-inspired yoga teacher. We have an amazing conversation, which takes the whole tour. I had expected to talk about functional anatomy, which is what she's absolutely amazing at. But actually, what we ended up talking about was the um, how the anatomy really relates to our minds, how our psoas is related to our relationships, how we can each walk softly and tread lightly on the earth. And that's all about how our feet move, but also our relationship with our interconnectedness with the earth. If you just like a fascinating, interesting, entertaining conversation about the mental side of um, very in-depth physical practices like our relationship with our feet, our vagus nerve, our psoas, and you wanted to find out a little bit more about how we might be able to help our bodies and our minds, do listen in because Catherine is, she's one of the key yoga teachers of teachers and has been practicing since her mid-70s. Has uh, She's come from yoga to yoga from Iyengar, Rashtanga, but also is now a Scaravelli yoga teacher. And if you want to find out what that is all about and what it's like being a free-thinking yogi, do listen in. So today I'm joined by Catherine Annis, who is a senior Scaravelli teacher, a teacher of teachers, one of the most wonderful um, yoga teacher mentors, and is amazing anatomical, as well as just a, a deep knowledge of all things the body. It's lovely to be joined by you, Catherine. Well, it's lovely to see you, Kat, <laughs> on this it's beautiful brilliant. day. <laughs> I know, it's a bit overcast, isn't it, yeah. for a summer's day. Um, now, what I really wanted to talk about is Scaravelli yoga, because sure. this is something that is a little bit unusual to a lot of people. Yes, it is. It's um I guess it's not that well known and mm -hmm. I think part of the reason for that is because Vanda didn't want us to call it Scaravelli yoga. And she's Vanda Scaravelli. Vanda Scaravelli, the lady who kind of developed this approach and it's an approach and a set of kind of loose principles rather than a hard and fast um technique I mean, she would have from I didn't know her but as far as I have heard from my mentors who worked with her she would have either laughed like a drain or just said that's ridiculous don't don't do that don't don't call it Scaravelli yoga it's it's not a technique and she was very anti-organization she said you know the the organization will will kill the spontaneity that kind of approach that. Yeah, so quite um, quite an unusual lady. Mm -hmm. um, she came to yoga when she was in her late forties. Her husband died very sadly, tragically, and mm -hmm. you know, at forty nine or so, she was still a young woman, and she was good friends with Krishnamurti, the philosopher. And she used to go, he used to come and stay with her in her villa in Florence in the summertime. And he brought his yoga teacher with him. And his yoga teacher happened to be Mr. Iyengar, as you do. Mm. And um, so Iyengar taught Krishnamurti and then he would spend time teaching Vanda. So a lot of the practice comes out of that very structured kind of um strong work of Iyengar but she tempered it because she herself had a really bad scoliosis and she found that certain movements meant more to her in her body than fixing the feet and, and having a very kind of structured 
organisation to the poses. And I think she she was probably, I don't know, I might get into trouble for this, but I, mm. I guess she was a bit of a rebel. Um, she had a lot of freedom because she was um, a very well-off aristocratic lady. Um, and I imagine she could pretty much do what she wanted to do. Certainly she was incredibly eccentric. She used to walk around wearing a leotard and tights and flip-flops. And great look. Great look. <laughs> and she would eat a whole tub of ice cream at once. She would she was well known for stopping the the shop assistants behind the counters and telling them that they should take their high heels off and work their feet more. Otherwise, they would get into trouble with their bodies. You know, mm. their bodies would um, suffer. So not short of opinions. And um, I think also well known for driving quite fast. <laughs> there you go. She sounds like a great yoga character. I think she... she I think she could, probably was quite terrifying and quite amazing. Mm. Um, and you hear different stories depending on on who who she was working with. You know, she's she w- worked very softly with uh, Sandra Sabatini, one of her mm-hmm. main students, mm. and she seems to have worked much more hard, much more strongly with people like Diane Long and John Sturck, who was my teacher for still is my teacher. Um. Yeah, so quite a character. I think I think mm. I might have enjoyed meeting her, or maybe yeah, not. Think, well, exactly. <laughs> it sounds like it could have gone either way, Catherine. I, I think that's probably <laughs> it. Yes. Yeah, I think so. Well, I, I love that thought that um, you can be a little bit against authority because, especially in the time when that was back when when everyone was either Iyengar or Ashtanga, and things were quite rigid back then, weren't they? Yes, I imagine so. I mean, that would have been, I was trying to do the maths then and failing mm. dismally, um, probably in the 60s and 70s, mm. when maybe it wasn't so, but I, I don't know. I don't know what it was like then. I mean, I came to yoga in the 70s, mm. but I was too young to have an idea of, you know, what the mm-hmm. yoga world was like then mm. but um i just remember we we weren't allowed to chant in the church hall because it was heathen quite right <laughs> can't have any of this heathen stuff. no none, none of this <laughs> chanting to gods um yeah. but yeah so and and she she was very much a product of the relationship that she had with Krishnamurti. And you know about Krishnamurti, he, his his thing was that, you know, you shouldn't just take anybody's word for it. There are no mm. gurus. You work it out for yourself. Mm. And I think she very much subscribed to that belief. She worked out her yoga on her own body and said, this works for me today. But she changed mm-hmm. her mind often. Mm-hmm. Um, so... For instance, there are stories that, well, there's a there's a path of. I'm not explaining this very well. There's, um, she used to teach the headstand with her hands, um, palms up. Oof. No, palms down, palms down. That's it, palms down. Mm-hmm. So you would put your hands down, and then another time she would go back to. Much later, when she needed the stability, she went mm. back to interlacing to, her fingers and tripod. having it yeah. Yeah, around the back of the head. But, um, you know, she was not averse to changing her mind, essentially, about things. And I think that that helps because I personally hate getting stuck in a mm-hmm. groove. Nothing so boring. Mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think that's wonderful. I love the thought of free thinking yogis mm. because there is a lot of, as I say, especially in the more structured disciplines, it's sort of this is where your knee is meant to be. This is mm. where your hip is meant to be. And if it's not there, you're going to get some kind teacher adjusting you so that it is there, yeah. <laughs> even if your body isn't very happy about that. Yes. And I do think that is a that's an issue for teachers and for students I think Mm. um and I think it's interesting that this has come up because Mm -hmm. you know we've been through the whole me too 
right thing where people are giving inappropriate adjustments in a whole different way but it's the same kind of idea that the teacher mm. knows best and I yes. I feel that that's not helpful mm. I feel if I tell you Kat I know what's best for your mm. body that mm-hmm. takes away your agency doesn't it mm-hmm. and it means that you stop inherently trusting your body and mm-hmm. your intuition and your your approach to exploring in the movements mm. because you think oh well maybe that's not right because Catherine knows the truth yeah the teacher right. knows the truth yeah and I the more that I teach the more I see that in fact it's more helpful to give the student absolute agency to explore in the way that they feel is appropriate yeah I think it's quite unusual for people to hurt themselves in a yoga class Okay. <laughs> Tell me. Of their own volition. I mean, it's more likely that as mm-hmm. a teacher, you will encourage somebody to do something because you think mm. that they should be able to do it. Mm. Um, they will trust you and do it against their better judgment. Mm. But because you're the teacher and they, they follow you, um, mm. they'll do it and something will happen that's... You know, mm-hmm. I think it's more likely to happen that way than that I say, okay, guys, let's see how it feels to do this. Mm-hmm. And we'll gradually move into the thing, say a trikonasana mm-hmm. or forward bend. Mm-hmm. And I'll be encouraging people to really listen to themselves. And mm-hmm. if they are really listening to themselves, and I'm not encouraging them to go too far, I think it's unlikely they're going to hurt themselves. I think that's a really important thing. Let's have a think about that. Mm. Because especially, you know, Movement for Modern Life, we're all online. All of our people are online. And nowadays, everybody practices online. Every yoga teacher and student is online still in these COVID times. So I think one interesting thing about it is lots of people think that there's going to be more injury when people practice at home either via Zoom or Movement for Modern Life or, you know, whatever. Mm. But actually the thought that it might not be the case and it might be a teacher who is encouraging, say, a student into a position, that's a slightly different thing. Well, I know from my own experience Mm -hmm. that when I was a younger teacher, I was a bit more Mm gung-ho. You know, my own body was um, more resilient. Mm -hmm. We're talking, you know... Oh, so many years ago. Um, <laughs> and I was really enthusiastic about this this yoga practice, mm-hmm. you know, that I felt was so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I probably, in all honesty, I probably did um, encourage people to do a bit too much. Mm-hmm. I, I, I don't know of any injuries that happened, but I just, I wonder, I look back at myself yeah. as a younger teacher and mm-hmm. I think, I'm glad that I have developed in this route because mm-hmm. it's given me the license to really encourage people to to really listen to themselves and to really mm. explore. And I look at my demographic of my students mm-hmm. and they tend to be on the older side oh, and they tend to be quite creative. You know, we do a lot of funky stuff in my class, not turning yourself into pretzels but I noticed Mm. the other day we were kind of twisting our arms and exploring the way that the bones encourage a spiral and that kind of thing Mm. which is incredibly nourishing and but Mm. you're not going to hurt yourself doing that yeah it's something that you would do if you were reaching into the back of a cupboard and picking up a mug and bringing it back to you you know it's kind of functional movement with a bit of artistic dancery la la thrown in (laughs) just for good measure is that your official description is functional movement functional (laughs) movement with a bit of dancery la la thrown in yes i think that that goes i like that yeah so so it's for a sort of creative kind of a person who is um wanting to be able to move their body in a very sort of functional way to keep to keep healthy yeah there is that and Mm -hmm. then i have to think about what 
why I do yoga, and I don't personally do yoga for exercise, I realized. Mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. do yoga to soothe my nervous system. Mm. And the more that I realize that that's why I'm doing it, that I'm mm. doing it to engender a, a change of state, yeah. the more I feel liberated to do all kinds of wacky stuff. <laughs> mm. You know, um, just seeing how I feel. I might just lie on the floor for an hour. Mm. Don't worry, I won't do that on Movement for Modern Life. Maybe I will. Not, they're, 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 yeah, I was going to say, there's absolutely nothing wrong with guiding people through lying on the floor for oh, an hour. Oh, yeah, no, we should do that. Yeah, uh, because it's very, as you say, like very nice for the nervous system. Yeah, yeah. But, but that's an interesting thing that you... Because I'd have thought... I'm going to finish the sentence. Mm. It's a very interesting thing that you are in the yoga for the nervous system when, to my knowledge, your practice and your teaching is very anatomically focused and very in-depth. Mm. Uh, you can spend an hour on one foot joint <laughs> in a way that many teachers yeah. wouldn't do. <laughs> I know, I know. That's a real interesting observation there isn't it because i'm fascinated with the way the body's put together mm. and i like for it to feel this is a horrible word i like for it to feel interesting mm -hmm. for it to capture me and to take me into the big toe joint or the talus mm. or whatever i'm mm. interested in at the time um so yes there is there's a there's a split there isn't there well spotted. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe it's like all of us. There's a little bit of yin and yang, and there's also a lot of um, getting into a functional anatomy, but mm. the interest is the nervous system as well. And that's very, very nice for your students to know that while they're focusing on the psoas for that hour, they're also going to be soothing their nervous system in the process. Yeah, especially if we're looking at psoas, because that is such an emotional kind of center you know if you're feeling stressed mm. your one side of your psoas is almost certainly going to go and kind of grip mm -hmm. and clamp and tighten up mm -hmm. um we see that so often and i feel it in mm. my own body you know um mm -hmm. that when i'm in a situation where i am stressy that mm. I will shorten and tighten and hold and grip on one side and that causes all kinds of subtle rotations in my body mm. and a slight sense of shortening on one leg or one through one hip. Mm. Um, and I notice that when I come back onto my mat and lie down and, and try and rebalance, recalibrate, if you like. Mm. So that's what that's what you get in, in the class, you know, is a reflection of my recalibration, I guess. I don't know, is this yeah. making any sense? Well it, well, it does a bit, but I, I need to sort of delve a little bit more into the psoas to mm. find out about that recalibration because it's a very interesting muscle. Is it a muscle? It is a muscle, pair of muscles. Mm. Um, they start, basically they are the muscles that your legs hang off. Mm. So they attach your legs to your spine mm -hmm. and they start just behind your diaphragm. Mm -hmm. So like at the, uh, the root of your diaphragm. So if you imagine where your diaphragm is, your diaphragm is your breath, is your emotion, is your anxiety and your mm. peace. All of that is connected, rooted into the 12th thoracic vertebra. So sort of just lower than your bra strap mm -hmm. you get the idea behind your solar plexus yeah. and um they they're like two long ropes that attach into your spine all the way down into your the top of your inner thigh your um yeah basically and interestingly I discovered that they are also, during the birth process, mm. the baby uses them as guide wires to travel down the birth canal. Oh, wow. I know. Amazing, isn't it? So, yay, you have a helter-skelter <laughs> inside you as a woman um, for, that, for that purpose. So, baby travels all the way down mm. between the two psoas muscles. And 
they are they are kind of rope like and slippery mm-hmm. and the right and the left seem to have their own characteristics. So you might have, for instance, a slight shortening on the right psoas, so the right mm-hmm. one, very close to the spine, or that mm-hmm. shortening could be on the outside edge of it. Um, I don't know if this is making sense. You kind of need a picture of them. But you imagine a rope from your solar plexus all the way down into your pelvis. Mm-hmm. And either side of it could get mm. kind of knotty um, or the whole thing could get knotty or it could get knotty at the leg end or knotty at the diaphragm end. Mm-hmm. Um, and because of its pathway, it's traveling very close to all your organs. Right. So your digestive organs, your reproductive organs. So if there's anything going on there, that could affect your psoas muscles. And if there's anything going on in the psoas muscles, that could affect those other areas. The reproductive organs, Or the digestive organs or, mm. yeah, any of that. Um, likewise, the diaphragm. If the diaphragm mm. is tight and short and anxious and you're breathing quite shallow and minimally, then you could cause quite a lot of bunching up and tightening around the top of the psoas, holding, essentially. Yeah, which is why I think it's called the muscle of emotion. Mm. Um, And it also, it can get dehydrated quite easily. So, and I know this from personal experience because I tend tend to be a bit of a lizard and I don't drink enough water. Mm-hmm. Um, don't get my husband started. So, And I do notice that if I get dehydrated, mm. I feel really cranky through my lower body. That's interesting. Yeah. So, And it needs to be surrounded by all of this interstitial fluid to, to move easily. Because mm. you think about it, it's, it's these ropes your legs are hanging off your spine from these ropes. So if yeah. they get tight and dry, yeah. I picked up a an old bicycle chain in my garden the other day, clearing up. Yeah. And I thought, oh, this is terrible. You know, it was like, mm-mm-mm. wasn't going to move <laughs> at all. And I thought, this needs a good oil. And I thought, this mm. is like a dry psoas, very dry, <laughs> desiccated psoas. Um, but yeah, so if it's if it's dry, if you're not looking after yourself and and mm. you're dehydrated, then that can get cranky. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that's so that's the psoas in a, in a bottle. In a, yes. in, a in a bottle. In and a we do, And we have a class for a lovely psoas we workshop. Do. If yeah. people want to sort of delve into their psoas, as it were, it's mm. quite an interesting thing to do. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, go on. I was going to say, and we have one on feet, don't we? We do. We but do. But before we go on to feet, okay. I wanted to find out about how the psoas is related to the back of the body and, like, th- how does it relate to the bones, to the actual SI joint, to the things around the back? Mm. Is it because there's a lot of people with tweaky SIs, and I'm always mm. going on about it, because I have one. <laughs> yeah, interesting. I think QL is more, quadratus lumborum is more implicated. Where is that? So quadratus lumborum is between your ribs and mm. your hips, sort of the side back body deep, very deep. Mm-hmm. Um, and typically when you're bending sideways, yeah. you might feel that one of them is is quite soft and it allows you to bend whereas the other one might be like oh I don't think so yeah there might be a little bit of tightening and and resistance there so there's a kind Mm. of a drawing up and a contraction in that area that can implicate your SI joint but also so to take you away from that but pelvic floor oh really Interestingly, I've discovered recently that the posterior pelvic floor, so the back of the pelvic floor, yeah. can get a bit grippy. And okay. when it gets grippy, it holds the sitting bones together mm-hmm. and that can create issues in your sacroiliac joints. So there's lots of lovely work that you can do in just gently being aware of keeping the sitting bones 
away from each other, which can be really helpful for SI joint issues close to my heart mm. um, when you're sitting. So to when you're sitting to mm. move the sit bones away from each other. Look at us both moving. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Just moving the sitting bones a little bit away from each other, or using one of those Pilates balls to sit mm. on to soften the sitting bones away from each other, so that the the pelvic floor doesn't get too grippy and holdy. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I said I, I I like that little um, that little tip because there's all sorts of you know moves that can be done, but that's a that's something which you can do every day at your desk as you do your things. Yeah, absolutely. Don't don't sit on the ball for long. Ten minutes is probably enough. Um, okay, even less than that, seven five. Mm. Um, but yeah, it it can just relieve it. And I bought myself a cushion that is kind of shaped let your tail drop down between this kind of looks like a big bum on a seat <laughs> and it really lets you settle into the seat and let your tail drop which can be helpful oh, or that sounds good. even better in fact is sitting mm-hmm. on the floor cross-legged but not yeah. f- not for ages okay um, okay because these things i don't know whether you're a hypermobile cat i can't remember I'm not excessively. I don't have the hyper. I certainly don't anymore. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sorry, spilling I, your beans. Yeah, I, I, I used to have a lot of mobility, but I'm not. I'm not the classic hypermobile with the sort of legs that go backwards and the arms that go backwards and all mm, of that. Mm, 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 mm. Yeah, no. But people who are hypermobile. Mm. Um, on the hypermobile spectrum anyway you don't mm-hmm. even have to be the massive kind of with the with the skin pulling away and all of that that's very, right you don't have to be massively on the scale but um people who are a bit sitting yeah. on the floor for a bit is helpful but not too much basically we because mm-hmm. i'm on that spectrum i'm not very but i'm i yeah. have a, a touch of it um we should be moving more so not sitting for a long period, mm. um, everybody, but especially mm. hypermobile people, it's particularly difficult. So we need to be getting up at least every hour to walk around for a few minutes. Um, That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because I had always thought that sitting cross-legged for, you know, while I do my things is the answer. Apparently not. Well, it work, you know, see for yourself. But I noticed mm. that basically if I'm sitting in the same position for much time, mm. I need yeah. to move. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I really need to move. Um, yeah. And I need to move and change my position. I'm, I'm a bit of a fidget Bridget, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fidget Bridget. Yeah. <laughs> well, 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 I am. I, I enjoy movement. <laughs> yeah. Do you? I never I would funny, have guessed. Funny old world. <laughs> funny old world. Funny the choices that we make, isn't it? Indeed. But that's it. That's very interesting to know. So actually another reason why all of us should be moving more. And just moving little and often, I suppose, that's really the answer, isn't it? Yeah. Just get off your bum and and walk or go and do the washing up or, you know, yeah. have a sit-stand desk. So yeah, you can have yeah, a variety yeah. of choices. It's all about making sure that you don't shut down your choices and mm. gradually become that old person that sits in the chair and can't get up. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. That absolutely. Is my, my absolute uh, fear would mm-hmm. be that. Mm-hmm. Mm. I don't think there's much chance of that, Catherine. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> I think that's right. and Because uh, we touched on before, why is it that we do yoga? And I think to do yoga so that you don't become the person who can't get up out of the sofa, aged 80 or whatever, mm. that's, a, that's a very good reason to practice. Oh, that's, yes. It's a very good reason. <laughs> Keep on coming, guys. Keep on coming. My mum is mm. 80, 80, 80 something. Mm. And my dad is nearing 90. And mm-hmm. my dad, because he's always moved, he doesn't do yoga, but he does always mm-hmm. move. He mm. can still climb the rope in the gym. Yeah, you see, this is this is what this is what it's about. Mm. And it's just keeping moving, isn't it? Yep. It is. It is absolutely keeping moving. It's really important. It's motion is lotion. 
Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, no, that's um, that's very interesting. I must say, mine mine are the same. My parents are both very very mobile, and it's keeping mm. that mobility. And if you don't keep moving now. One thing that does prevent a lot of people moving is foot pain. Ah. Yeah, Yeah, it's true, isn't it? It It's seriously true. And um, yes, really important. Because if you think about your the role of your feet in your body, Mm. um, your foot is your contact with the ground. Yeah. You know this, we all know this. But mm-hmm. do we actually think about it very often? I mean, you know, until I started practicing yoga seriously, yeah. I didn't really think about how important it was that the joints that were contacting the floor mm. should be encouraged to be open and elastic. Because right. if they jam up mm-hmm. um, and get kind of closed and solidify, Maybe you get a bunion on one foot. I have a bunion coming, mm-hmm. but it's been coming for mm-hmm. a long time. And I keep, you know, moving my big toe and opening my big toe and stretching my foot and working my foot to keep it from really fully developing. Because if I had a bunion that was stopping that big toe from moving, what then happens is the next toe over becomes redundant. I've seen yeah. this in extreme cases where the next mm. toe over will kind of bend over the big toe and yeah. it, it could almost be amputated. It's got absolutely no function anymore. Mm. And then the next two toes, you find that the metatarsal muscles, those little muscles that support mm. your arches and your toes, mm-hmm. they get less strong less able to function and your whole foot starts to just be like a slap of concrete so when you walk Mm -hmm. it's like maybe not concrete maybe wood Mm. you know it's very stiff and it slaps onto the floor and we've all heard people walking with flat feet haven't we their foot kind of slaps onto the ground and there's no kind of lightness or spring in that person's foot because that's collapsed Mm. so collapse is not great um because then what you're doing is the arch of your foot has just collapsed down into the ground and any shock from your foot landing on the floor with each step that you take that shock goes right up the the bones of your legs through the joints of your ankles your knees your hips with all the attendant, yeah, I know you're grimacing. Um, <laughs> yeah, it sounds awful. <laughs> yes, it's delightful. Um, so that shock will travel ultimately all the way up into the base of your mm. skull, traveling mm-hmm. through the bones. But also, mm. if you have very tight feet, mm. you can imagine it's the same kind of thing because there's no shock absorbency because they're just kind of tight little wedges slamming onto the ground. And it, it's, it's actually worse for you to have tight feet than collapsed feet. Can you That's interesting. That? Yeah, the Israelis did a, um, uh, uh, not a survey, study. <laughs> I was trying to think of the word. The Israelis did a study on on flat feet and found they were really, really bad. And lots of their soldiers had flat feet and that was problematic for those soldiers. But worse than the flat feet was the high arches that were very stiff Um. Sorry, I'm kind of veering off here, but I just find the whole foot relationship is so key to um, good functioning of your ankles and your knees. And it, if you really work with your feet, you can feel how that affects your pelvis mm. and the muscles coming up through your upper thighs into your hips. And then you can feel how good foot action um, mm. So healthy, efficient feet make mm. you aware, much more aware of standing up. Mm. I don't want to say standing up straight, but standing well yeah. with mobility and the ability to run if you need to or stop quickly yeah. if you need to. And also your foot, the sole of your foot is beautifully designed. It's, it's as sensitive as the palm of your hand. So if you were to take off your shoes and socks, I've actually got bare feet right now, and I run my foot over my floor, I can feel whether my cleaner has done the dusting properly, Mm -hmm. the hoovering, 
of the floor. You know, I can I can sense if there's too much mm. dust there, or if you know if there's too much cat fur on the floor, just from yeah. just moving my foot gently across the ground, and. If you put your foot on different textures, I'm putting my foot on my table at the moment, I can mm. feel the quality of the wood of my table. And I know that the temperature of the brass foot of the table is different yeah. to the wooden leg of the table. And I can feel that the underneath of the table has not been sanded and smoothed and polished in the same way that the leg has. You yeah. know, your foot is incredibly sensitive. And we just shove our feet into shoes the mm. t I was going to say the tighter the better not for me anymore but you know when I was working mm. in offices it was all about the look of the shoe you know tight mm. little toes and little kitten heels mm. and swing mm -hmm. sway back not slingbacks mm. <laughs> I've forgotten even the words slingbacks that cause slingbacks the swaybacks that <laughs> the swaybacks. yeah so um and there's a certain amount of pleasure that you can feel from your feet. Like if you mm. walk on newly dewed grass, mm. you know, mm. first thing in the morning, the dew's settled, you go outside, it's like, oh my God, that is so beautiful. You walk mm. on, the, on the sand, on the beach, mm. if it's not too hot. Um, mm. Beautiful. Even pebbles. If mm. you, you can mould your feet, you know, as a child, I used to run around barefoot all the time. Mm. And we used to have, stone walking competitions so <laughs> too much information <laughs> but um what what i find interesting now is i can still walk on the stones mm -hmm. if i allow my feet to mold to the stones and that's really my point yeah. here is that even hard uncomfortable surfaces if you yeah. let your foot soften and wrap around the stones mm it doesn't feel so bad. And I think that's not that I particularly want to be walking on stones all the time, but I do think it's useful to be able to mould your mm. foot and have that kind of awareness that your foot can soften and notice mm. how that affects the whole of the rest of you. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. And in terms of the footwear that you wear, clearly mm. it's not the slingbacks. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think I have one pair of heels for absolute emergencies. Um, I wear well, Vibrams, five fingers, five, right, and Vibram soles. Mm. Um, what else have I got? Birkenstocks. Yeah. Very so these kind of sexy shoes. Yeah, but, but just the more natural kinds of shoes. Yeah. Yeah, I, I must say I'm a big fan of um, this. Uh, this sounds like product placement, but I do um, Vibro barefoot. Yes. And since I started wearing them now three or four years ago, I literally can't buy any other shoes. No. All I can wear is those or go barefoot. Yeah. And I don't know how you feel about this, but my feet have increased by a whole size. Oh, I, <gasps> big feet, big feet. Give me a bigger foot. Yeah, no, I'm well into big feet. I love, You're into I, that. Mm. I'm so into having bigger feet. I don't have very yeah. big feet, um, but I... I really love the feeling of stretching my foot yeah. out as much as possible. I mean, my feet, I find it very difficult to work with my feet because I have, I verge on tight feet. Um, yeah. But I find it, and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> what I was going to say really is that the more you work with your feet, the more you can do amazing things. Like I have right. a friend who can wave each toe in turn, which I think is pretty amazing. I'm not sure many people apart from yogis would be particularly interested in that, but I'm very interested in that. And I think it really shows in her practice because when you That's see it. her practice, she has such awareness through her feet that mm -hmm. it comes up. It's like she's sucking awareness out of the ground. Wow. It's amazing. It's just amazing. Wow. And, uh, you know, you can feel it when you work up through your feet. You can feel it affecting your shoulders. Mm. So, guys, get into your feet. Wow. So, uh, I wanted to just sort of say, okay, so the reasons to get into your feet, the reasons why I first got these kinds of shoes, not the sexiness of it, but no. because I had bad knees. Ah. And I do a lot of walking and my... Uh, 
you know, I was wearing large hiking boots, which are basically like wearing hoofs. Mm. You know, you kind of go clod, clod, clod with your feet. And my knees were really suffering. And I thought, let's just see what we can do here. And my knee problems have disappeared. Ah. Very interesting. So I think from a functional point of view, you know, getting into the feet and Mm. stretching them, making them be a little bit more um, muscular, elastic, as you say, is helpful. Um, But it's interesting that you say that um, there's a sort of more spiritual element that you might feel that you're sort of more from the ground living your life in that way that you described this yogi. Yeah, I mean... There's definitely a difference when I walk Mm. and I, if I'm just walking around, I'm just walking around, Mm. I'm going from A to B. But if I really tune in to the feeling of my feet, Mm -hmm. I love playing with the feeling of my feet as I walk from A to B. So when I go up to the shop, if I'm moved, I will really think about my feet working. Mm. And do you know, you tend to, I tend to walk more quickly when I do that. Yeah. You'd think I'd slow down, but I actually seem to get there quicker. Um, yeah. And I, it's more, it keeps me in the, in the moment because I'm yeah. really paying attention to my feet. So you could think of it as a meditation. As a meditation yeah. practice as well. Yeah. I mean, probably I'd need to slow down a bit to be truly meditative with it. But it takes you into a different thing. So you don't have to think about, all the crap that's going on at home, if that's what's happening for you, (laughs) you know, all the stress that's happening in your life, Mm. if you just be in your feet and they're with you all the time, nobody knows that you're practicing yoga as you Mm. just walk around the place, really imagining, sensing the sole of your foot and how it contacts the sole of your shoe and how that contacts the the ground that you're walking on. And, you know, in London, we're, on pavements all the time which is you know very uninteresting but as soon as you walk on something that's different your foot can immediately tell yeah right so I play that game with myself can I feel the texture of the pavements because they do have separate textures Mm, if you're lucky I like that yeah like York Stone has a very different feeling to the concrete outside my door (laughs) <laughs> I like that. It's very interesting. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can. You know, it, I think it takes practice, but I, I really do feel that I can sense the difference. Bricks yeah. different to concrete, different to Yorkstone, obviously different to pebbles and something that's a bit rougher and a bit more interesting underfoot. But it's also um, the fact of a sensitivity, isn't it? Yeah. And that's kind of what we're talking about. We're building up our sensitivity so that we can become more aware of what we're doing, um, yeah. which might well help us to make, you know, smarter choices or something like that. Yes. And I mean, that's what, that's what we do yoga for partially, isn't it? Mm. Is to, is to sure. increase our awareness so that when we do get into a situation which is difficult Mm. we can open up those choices because we're able to pause and not be reactive Mm. um, rather than jumping in you know yeah interesting to work your feet for Mm -hmm. global peace well, because... it, well, it does say, it's funny how connected everything is, though. Yeah, I was, I was not really joking. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> not really, no. Because, you know, the more that I do to improve myself, improve, I'm not sure that's a very good word, but um, the more I do to help myself to make better choices based on mm. my awareness, the more that I'm likely to open the door for the other people that I'm in relationship with to Mm. join me in that consciously or on. And then that just spreads, doesn't it? It's like the smile on the street. You know, you smile at your neighbor and they're going to smile at somebody else. Maybe smiles breed smiles. Well, there's always a knock on effect in life and I think Mm. I suppose that's what yoga teaches us isn't it it's the interconnectedness Mm. of everything of our feet to world peace it's really not that far (laughs) it's not that far away 
not that far away. I, I, I sometimes think of the feet, you know, when I extend doing my hikes. And when you go through woodland, I sometimes mm. make a little, um, a little game to walk as softly as I can. That's lovely. That's really lovely. Because, of course, um, if we were um, still hunter-gatherers, yeah. we would need that skill. Um, yeah. Interesting you brought that up, actually, because my husband went and spent some time with the Hadza, who are one of the last hunter-gatherer tribes in Central Africa. And he said, it was amazing. They moved so quickly and mm. so silently lightly. through, yeah, mm. touching the earth lightly, taking mm. only what they needed and so aware of their their effect on everything, their effect, just walking and, you know, running, chasing, but quietly and quickly. He said it was unbelievable. It's, it, it's very, very interesting to think that it's sort of, and now it becomes a bit of a metaphor, mm. how in our lives we sort of wear these great big shoes which protect us mm. from, you know, life and all the perils that we might, you know, might stub our toe on something yeah. or hurt ourselves. But it also means that there's a distance between us and the outside world. And that kind mm. of distance sort of prevents us from seeing the interconnection yeah and and it it um it stops us from expanding our awareness mm. because as soon as you wrap somebody in cotton wool mm -hmm. they are they are distanced aren't they yeah you know we've all seen those children who grew up too coddled yeah um and I would rather, I don't want to stub my toe, but I'd rather stub my toe and think, okay, don't do that next time, Catherine, mm. than be protected by a big boot, I think. I quite like yeah. the feeling of pine needles. Even if, yeah. you know, when I wear my Vibrams and I walk through forests mm -hmm. or woodlands and they have mm -hmm. pine needles, they always prick me. <laughs> the pine yeah. needles always prick through the fabric. Um, yeah. But I kind of don't mind that. I'd rather... Be real. Mm -hmm. I'd almost rather be walking through them barefoot, but my feet yeah. are not hard enough anymore. So, very interesting. I really like how again we seem to have gone on this uh, interesting interwoven journey of how somebody who is very sort of you're very scientific and anatomical, <laughs> and you're able to mm. you don't see yourself like that, <laughs> but. I suppose I'm, I'm. I like technical stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And that's and that's all related to the nervous system as well. And how, you know, we think that somebody who's interested in the nervous system is somebody who's sort of more into the rainbows and the unicorns, and not so much into the Latin names of the muscles. That's hilarious. <laughs> I suppose so. But I find that there is a spirituality in in mm. the body. Mm -hmm. And the more that I practice, the more I think mm -hmm. it's coming up from the body mm -hmm. that I'm and currently this week I'm mm -hmm. super interested in how I how I feel from inside and how I moved to do things from inside rather than from my head, my mind. Interesting. That is, it's been proven as well that the body mm. makes the decision before the mind does. Yeah, I like that because I've always heard that our minds always justify the reasons for something after we've made that decision. Yeah, but it's quite, it's interesting to try and catch yourself making the mm -hmm. body decision yeah. and, then, and then doing that mental justification. Yeah, yes. Bodies make the decisions and the minds catch up. And the up. minds just catch up at the end. Mm. And I don't know if this is going to be related, but I have a niggly suspicion that it is, that the vagus nerve mm. might be connected to our source of intuition in this kind of way. <laughs> what do you think? Well, yes, it has to be, because right. um, your vagus nerve is 
basically your um, advanced warning system. Right. It's your sub. It's your um, uh, autonomic nervous system. Mm-hmm. So it's going to alert you if there's some some danger. Right. You know, you have a sense. You need to be super high alert mm. for danger because if you see a tiger, you know mm-hmm. you better run bloody fast. Mm-hmm. Um, now, without even thinking about it, you can't like decide later. You can't yeah, run right. through scenarios and think, oh, well, should I run or should I stay? Mm. Um, you've got to just leg it. And yeah. that's that's your vagus nerve. That's one of its jobs mm. is to tell you, go now, mm-hmm. run now, mm-hmm. very fast, far. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it just bypasses your whole um, thinking system. Just goes mm. straight to you, straight to run very fast. So, yeah, it's all about um, that old system of understanding and knowing and intuitively just looking after yourself. And what it makes me want to do is to exercise my vagus nerve, is to give it some push-ups so that I will be have a stronger ability, you know, to see all these things which my body knows and my mind doesn't quite yet. Can we can we give our vagus nerve some push-ups, Catherine? <laughs> push-ups. <laughs> I think I think you probably want to do some breathing. Okay. Really, breathe, breathing is yeah. is the push-up for the for the vagus nerve. I like yeah. That. Um, yeah. So coherent breathing. So when you breathe in for like two counts, and then mm-hmm. you breathe out for roughly double that. Right. No stress. No pushing. But mm-hmm. you just encourage your exhale to be slightly longer. Right. And that, for most people, will be mm. really soothing um, yeah. for their nervous systems. But for some people, it might not, because just alerting people and making people think about the breath can be quite anxiety-making. Yeah, so right. it, you have to handle that very delicately and and see how it is for you. You know, if you're mm. if you're feeling in an anxious state, um, then maybe don't count just notice how mm. you're breathing and encourage yourself to breathe out slightly longer than you breathe in because i do know that um we've had feedback from people on movement from mm. on life who have become quite anxious mm. with some of our breathing exercises i think i think some people love the counting of the breath mm-hmm. but for some people you know, if if I say to you, okay, cat, you need to breathe in for two counts, and now you need to breathe out for one, two, three, mm. four. If you can't sustain the exhale for that long, yeah. then it, it there's this whole "oh my god, I'm doing it wrong" thing right. that comes in, or "oh my yeah. god, my breath isn't good enough," and right. that's really not helpful at all. So, yeah. I think when teaching breath. Mm. it's more helpful to teach breath awareness than to count breaths. Mm. You know, you might give people guidance, so roughly Mm. twice the length, but it it really doesn't matter. It's just slightly longer will be good. Um, Mm. And you can practice that, you know, just gently yourself now and again Mm. when you think about it. Um, No pressure. It's just being very interested in it and the other thing to be interested in is to um to notice the change of your pulse so if you can Mm. find a pulse point Mm -hmm. and i i usually do it in my throat because it's the most evident one for me Mm. but other people can do it easily in the wrist you find a pulse point sit quietly Mm. and observe your breath and then notice how as you breathe in, your heart rate, your pulse, mm. will be very slightly faster mm. than as you exhale. Oh, interesting. 
And it's the exhale that will stimulate your vagus and put mm. you into the calmer state. Mm. That is interesting. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah. It's, and again, if that's not your experience, because some people will think, oh, no, I, that's mm. not working for me. Nothing is awry. It's just, it's, yeah. qu it's notoriously difficult to find your pulse for a start. Yeah. And then also, as soon as you shine a light on it, things start to get over, over busy. So mm. really, that's just an exercise for those of you who like that kind of thing. Um, yeah. But not diagnostic in any way. It's just, it's just something to be interested in and to notice. And I noticed that I was nervous recently and I was, mm -hmm. I was teaching this workshop on, on Vegas. And mm -hmm. I noticed as I was teaching that bit, mm -hmm. my heart rate was really rapid the whole time because I was nervous. Mm -hmm. It was a very busy workshop and it's quite technical mm -hmm. and I didn't want to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and I was just laughing to myself. I was thinking, oh, yeah, well, you know, <laughs> not always. <laughs> so, um, so, yeah. Interesting. I love it. Yeah, I, I love this. I feel that this has been an amazing tour de force. <laughs> uh, it's like this is uh, everything we need to know about yoga is right here. We've been around the houses, haven't we? Mm, we have a bit. Is there anything that you'd like to add? Um, I suppose the most important thing for me mm. now as a teacher is um to get students to really play um as they practice and to trust their own intuition so if they're doing something and they think mm, not really sure about that then to be okay with deciding mm -hmm. that actually I don't want to do that yeah um you know it's fine as a teacher I don't know everything about you Mm -hmm. I can't. And I certainly don't know how you're feeling that day. Mm. Um, and, you know, some days we get out of bed and we're feeling cranky and not quite, you mm -hmm. know, our normal selves. And we mm -hmm. go to yoga because we think it might make us feel better. And sometimes it doesn't, because actually what we need to do is lie down in bed and go to sleep. Yeah, right. You know, um, but sometimes we do things because we think we should. Yeah. And I think less should Mm. more nah <laughs> more well don't fancy that today but I fancy this you know being yeah, right. being responsive to what you really really feel that you want mm. so listening to yourselves as they speak to you mm. that sounds like a really really good well, it's where we started, isn't it? We started on free thinking and we're ending on thinking for yourself and not being taught so much as, as much as listening to yourself. As much as possible. Mm. And of course, that's the hardest instruction to give a student because all we want to do is be told what to do and turn our little brains off. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we all start at that place where we need mm. a teacher. We need somebody to give us guidance. Mm. And if that guidance is, I'm going to choose my words carefully here. I find that the most helpful guidance is the guidance that brings me to the place of taking responsibility for myself. Mm. But that is a long journey, you know, mm. for years, I just wanted to be taught and that's fine. Yeah. It's absolutely fine. We, we have to meet our students where they are in time. And our students meet us as teachers where we are in our teaching mm. career or career, you know, our understanding of what it is to be a teacher, yeah. our, our evolution as teachers. And, mm. um, you know, people will find you when it's right. Yeah right for me as student, right for you as teacher. Perfect. Yeah. I believe. I think that's right. Well, Catherine, it has been, my vagus nerve feels soothed. Oh, good. <laughs> I'm glad. 
I've been giving my feet a little massage, so world peace will come shortly after. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> right, so we'll rely on it. Um, but it really has been a pleasure to have a little chat with you. And thank you so, so much for your time and for all of your support that you've given me in Movement for Modern Life. I really appreciate that. Well, thank you, Kat, as well, for everything that you do for us as teachers and for everybody out there. Um, you've created an amazing company, an amazing structure, and I personally value it deeply. So thank you very much. Oh, bless you. All right. It's been lovely to chat. Take good care. Yes, you too. Take care. Bye. I really hope you enjoyed that conversation. What I loved about it is how we can put our structures and expectations of yoga to one side. And I think Catherine really did that with me. Um, so I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Do check out Catherine's classes on movementformodernlife.com. She has got some wonderful classes. There's an hour's foot workshop, sew-us workshops and everything in between. And you will get to experience some of her really amazing, intuitive but insightful um, looks at the anatomical structures and how that relates to our mental states so i really hope you enjoyed please get your free 14 day trial to movement for modern life just go to movementformodernlife.com and get a free trial to check out our amazing world-class teachers and thank you very very much for supporting us please do share this podcast share the movement and um well we're just an organic homegrown family-run business so we really, really do appreciate your support. All right, guys, till next time.